Hey everyone, this is Marisa, the producer of the Ascension Roundtable podcast. I wanted to give you guys a heads up that we're going to be trying something new in the next few episodes and we're pretty excited about it. We are going to bring you a mini-series called Evangelization 101 with Dr. Italy, aka Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio. Dr. D'Ambrosio is a theologian, church historian, and enthusiastic disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's going to help us understand how the new evangelization is rooted in the early church and how we can draw from the early church in order to become better at evangelizing others today. How do you go about evangelizing? Paul tells us it's got to be personal. It's got to proceed from our own experience and what Christ did for us. And unfortunately, I think that lesson it has is lost to a lot of folks who work in the area of preaching and teaching. You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable podcast, episode 21, Evangelization 101, Putting It All in Context. In this episode, Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio puts the new evangelization into the context of the ups and downs of our Catholic story. The early Christians grew from a group of 120 at Pentecost to 10% of the Roman Empire in about 300 years. So how did they do it? Dr. Italy discusses this and other key times in church history, explaining how the new evangelization is and isn't so new. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're on the line with Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio, sort of a guru in evangelization and theology and church fathers and everything Catholic. Um, I'm pretty stoked. I used to listen to him back when I was um, early in the faith, and I was uh, listening. I discovered Catholic Answers and a couple of other radio shows and was listening to uh, them regularly, and, and Dr. D'Ambrosio was a guest, and I was always, always get excited when you were on the line because always, you always had great wisdom and um, great things to say, and so I'm excited to be actually talking to you live today, so now I can ask my own questions as we talk. So welcome to the show, Dr. D'Ambrosio. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. And can I call you Dr. Um, Dr. I think you go by Dr. D occasionally, and as well as Dr. Italy. Is that yeah, right? the, yeah, the Dr. Italy. You know, people can't really remember my name, but they can remember that it's, it's a long Italian name, and he's, he's a professor. So Dr. Italy <laughs> became kind of a moniker uh, from my early days doing TV and radio, EWTN. Excellent. So, yeah. Now, you studied under um, Cardinal Avery Dulles. You said- I did, which was an amazing privilege. Uh, a tremendous opportunity. I feel a great sense of responsibility because I just picked up a lot from him, especially and from some other um, pretty pretty amazing teachers over the years. And you live outside Dallas currently with five children. Yes, Three yes, but boys. one of them has has departed from Dallas and now lives up in near Philadelphia. And I, be- I believe one of them works for Ascension. Is that correct? Can you tell us about that? That, about is, her? that is absolutely right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, Marisa, I believe, is her name. My she loss produces... is Ascension's gain. That's, that's it. <laughs> yes, the fruit of the love between Dr. D'Ambrosio and his wife. One of the many fruits in his basket is that's the producer right. of our show. She, this, the, the, the fruit grew on Texas soil. So um, there is a bag of Texas soil underneath um, the, the crib of Marisa's baby. So I just want you to know that. <laughs> Excellent. And you um, run a website called the Crossroads Initiative. I do. And that okay. website's been around uh, since 2003. And um, it's there's a wealth of, of fertilizer, a wealth of food to help people grow. Um, and, and there's primary gospel preaching on that, on that website. So I encourage people to visit it. And an easy way to get there is to go to DrItaly.com. Okay, so DrItaly.com. 
that's easy to remember and jot down. So anyway, go there and you'll find uh, really a veritable feast from the church's tradition um, awaiting you packaged in very tasty fashion. Excellent. Excellent. And so you are uh, a doctor, a theologian. Um, you've studied church history. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your dissertation? Sure. Uh, the fathers of the church are really key to the renewal of the church. The Second Vatican Council saw that, and so um, they mined the fathers of the church. And some of the, the key people who helped the, the council mine the fathers, uh, one of them was Henri de Lubac. So I wrote about his study of the fathers and the way they interpreted Scripture and why that's not outmoded um, and why it's not uh, hostile to, to contemporary historical exegesis. So it kind of he he put those things together in in a, in a powerful way. So um, I wrote about that. No one else really had kind of gone over that and uh, made that uh, available to people in English. So anyway, that's kind of what I did. Wow, I am really out of my league today. I gotta tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for talking to a Captain Bachelor's degree over here. <laughs> hey, that's okay. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a guy trying to get to heaven like everybody else. <laughs> Uh, so what we want to do is is a three-part series on the new evangelization. It's become quite a buzzword um, in our Catholic circles, um, but we want to take it and unpack it, put it in context of uh, the greater picture of church history, and talk about how we can uh, basically do the new evangelization today in today's world. So we're going to talk about that over the next three episodes, um, all through with Dr. Ambrosio, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, so I guess I should have started the show telling everybody why we're here, but um, but there you go. That's what we're going to talk about. So why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll just jump into the topic. Hey guys, this is Shayna from Ascension. I don't know if you've heard, but with Ascension's new digital delivery platform, you can start a study with anyone, anywhere. Here's how to do it. First, go to ascensionpress.com and create a free online account. Once you're there, preview any of our study programs for free and choose the one you'd like to leave. Then find at least three friends, family members, or coworkers who want to do the study with you. Once you have your group, make sure everyone registers to receive their study materials. Then you're ready to go. Meet with your group in person, online, or both. It's that simple. All right, welcome back. We're on the line with Dr. Marcellino Ambrosio today, talking about the New Evangelization, part one of a three-part series. So in 1983, Pope John Paul II, uh, one of my personal heroes, he was quoted as saying in the Redemptorius Missio, I sound intelligent just saying anything in Latin, it means mission of the Redemptor, I'm sorry, mission of the Redeemer, and it's, and it's Redemptorius Missio, did I get that right? I should yes. start over. Did I get? Okay. So he said, the moment has come to commit all of the church's energies to a new evangelization. Now, why don't we put this all into context? And before we jump into um, the late 80s with John Paul II, can you take us back to the early church? And what can we learn from the early church in bringing forward to today's generation? What can we learn from the early church fathers and uh how they really set the world on fire by spreading the message of the gospel and, and doing evangelization. Yes. Well, one thing that we, we handicaps us a little bit talking about evangelization in the early church is we don't have pure research data for, you know, the world of the first, second, third, fourth century in terms of, you know, um, the Christian behavior. So we have to kind of read between the lines. First of all, in the scriptures, 
we actually do see tremendous modeling of evangelization, okay? We see it in Paul. Uh, we see it in, in Galatians when he talks about his own experience. We see it—he's always talking about his own experience, which is kind of fascinating. Um, he's certainly very clear on doctrine and the objective truth of Jesus coming to save us and being our path to the Father, his death and resurrection. But he's always sharing that in context of his own struggle, his own sinfulness. Um, he, in Acts of the Apostles, he gives his own personal testimony or his story of conversion no less than three times. Uh, so it, it's it's amazing lesson to us in um, how do you go about evangelizing? Um, it, it, Paul tells us it's got to be personal. It's got to proceed from our own experience um, and what Christ did for us. And unfortunately, I think that lesson it has is lost to a lot of folks who work in the area of preaching and teaching. Um, so much, so many people don't really share from their own story of discipleship, their own story of change. Uh, and that's what gets people's attention. That's what rivets people. We see in Acts, you know, in front of the governor and the king, uh, the, the Jewish king, a descendant of Herod and his wife, Paul pleads his case um, not not to get himself off, um, but he, he wants them to come to Christ. And they said, if you keep going, you're going to make me a Christian. <laughs> and that's what Paul wanted. And that's what he said. So uh, anyway, that's one big lesson from the early church. Another lesson, really, um, you know, from the scriptures is Jesus' own discussion with the Samaritan woman. That discussion right there is a topic of a whole podcast and what we can learn from that in terms of how Jesus approaches her and then how she responds to his love um, by bringing a bunch of people to him, even though she has a very poor reputation in the town, even though she's unlettered, unlearned, um, you know, and she's pretty rough around the edges, living a life of sin. She immediately um, is an evangelist, and which is pretty amazing because a lot of us really um, we don't think we're equipped to do it. You know, we don't think we're ready. We don't think we're worthy. We don't think we have enough education. So anyway, uh, th these little scriptural uh, things, uh, these episodes teach us a lot about evangelization and about what the new evangelizations are really about, because the new evangelization is new in a lot of ways. Uh, it departs from a prevalent mindset that had been around in the church really since about the fifth century. Um, but it's new in that it's it's going back and rediscovering and reappropriating scripture and early tradition. You know, the early church, what we do know for sure is from the time of the apostles, the 120 at Pentecost in that room until um, the time of Constantine becoming Christian. That's almost 300 years. Um, but in that period of time, um, it grew from 120 to about 10% of the Roman Empire, which is huge. So we're talking millions of people, despite the fact that the church is persecuted brutally. So, um, you know, it's a period of a pagan world being evangelized, a pagan world with sexual mores, a lot like what now looks new. It's not new. The new morality is nothing but pagan morality mm -hmm. um, come back to life and being promoted. But, you know, we think it's really hard in this society because of, of the pagan morality and values. Well, you know, the fathers of the church and the apostles presided over an evangelization of a world that was just as uh, much entrenched in the culture of death. So anyway, they do have a lot to teach us. Um, uh, and there's a few episodes back there where, where we kind of learn— um, 
a few, just a few fathers of the church who share why they themselves became Christian, how they became Christian, um, and, and what made them choose Christ and perk their interest in Christ. Wow. Let me ask you this, because I, I, I obviously could not agree more that we're in living in a very paganish society now. And when I, when I use those terms with loosely with friends that are, are not in this kind of world, they think I'm insane using those types of words. But um, I think the difference in the pre-Christian world versus the post-Christian world that we live in now is that the message, the gospel message, when the apostles were proclaiming it, was brand new back then. Whereas now, 2,000 years later, we're back to that same kind of, like you said, the pagan culture. But when we set out to proclaim the message, it's one of those, yeah, heard that, been there, done that, was in Sunday school. You know, so how do we, um, how, what do we do about that, I guess, is my question. How do we, how do we attack okay. that? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why the new evangelization is really new, because it's a new context. It's, a, as you said, it's a post-Christian Europe, okay? Post-Christian America. The West is post-Christian in that it thinks it was once Christian, and it thinks that Christianity didn't really work, um, and Christianity is irrelevant. You know, it's funny, where we are right now, I think it's important to recognize this. Back in the early 20th century, there were a lot of people, late 19th or 20th, the, the big intellectuals were saying that religion was an enemy of human progress. So we have to violently attack it. Um, so that's really what, what you see in communism, an attempt to eradicate religion as the opiate of the people, keeps us numb to our real problems, keeps us looking at pie in the sky instead of fixing the, the world that we live in. So there's hostility towards religion. What we find now more is apathy. You know, what we mm. find more now is um, it's irrelevant. It's antiquated. Um, it's just it doesn't respond to my real needs. It's just, um, you know, a belief system and ideology, a system of rules and regulations that are oppressive. So that's that's what we're fighting. And we need to understand that because the way we have to spin the gospel message now and it's, and, and it, it's not a spin in the sense of making the gospel something it's not. It's taking a feature of the Christian life and the gospel that corresponds to, to, to where people are at and sharing it that way so that it gets people's attention and helps people connect their own need with what's being offered in the gospel. Okay, so what, what is what is the need that people have today? And you know, I'll look at millennials and I'll say, number one, there's a tremendous need for meaning there's a tremendous need for intimacy. There's a tremendous need for community in a world where community is broken down, natural community. Um, and, and so I think we really need to share the gospel in a way that responds to those needs. And people aren't really thinking about life after death a whole lot until they're near death. That's right. when people on battlefields, I think about it. And when they're getting older, they think about it. But young people aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about now problems, which are these problems of intimacy, community, meaning, purpose, direction. Um, and so we've got we've to be able to share the gospel in that way. And based on our own experience of how the Lord has, uh, you know, filled the need of love in our heart, that's something real new. Augustine's been doing did that back in the in the fifth century. Um, we we got to show how the gospel builds community, and and therefore we can't just talk about that. We got to be a welcoming, loving, joyful community, and that's part of the core of what Jesus was preaching 
uh, and teaching, and Paul was teaching and preaching. And quite frankly, you don't hear that much about it when you, in a Sunday homily, generally speaking. I mean, you hear a lot of moral stuff like you got to be good and got to try, you got to do better, um, and got to be loving and you got to think about others. I mean, but and that's what people think about the gospel. It's moralism. It's just, you know, try harder. My gosh, I've tried hard and I can't do it. Okay, so the power of the Holy Spirit to make people new and to change people's lives has to be much more to the fore. Um, and that has to be shared with stories in, in real life experience. You know, Paul's an experience, his experience was that, a transformation now. Uh, and I think we've got to know our own stories and be able to share that. And, and quite frankly, that idea of testimony is a new idea for most Catholics, but that's very clear in the teaching of the church from Paul the sixth onward about, about evangelization, is that evangelization has got to proceed primarily from personal testimony and the witness of the, of the church and Christian life. Wow, so good. I just want to like go back and listen to that all again, because that was just so much information there and such really good information, I think, for our listeners, for people that are in ministry and and just trying to figure out how to break through to, like you said, the apathy and the um, the lukewarmness that's out there. And and um, I think you had just hit it right on the, right on the head and, and knocked it out of the park. Um, and you said up until the fifth century that the early church was sharing their testimonies with others. Um, we want to get into a and save one of our episodes on the need and the importance of testimonies and how you can do that. But I want to ask you, what changed uh, at the fifth, in the fifth century onward? Like, why did we, and I know I'm asking you to go back in history and tell me what happened in a pivotal place in history, but what happened? That why did we stop, we as a church, stop sharing testimonies at that point? Yeah. In the early church, it, it, conversion was a, a, a matter of individuals and households coming to Christ. And so how did that happen? Um, we, we don't have lots of records, but we have certain, you know, like uh, uh, stories and pointers that, that, that are in literature that tell us, you know, um, it, it, it appears it's person to person, person witnessing to person, person inviting other person who has maybe heard about Christians, seen them die in the arena. We, we have many situations where the witness of Christian martyrdom and the witness of Christian charity both made um, pagans sit up and take notice, and it aroused curiosity. But then it was a matter of individuals. The church was not public. There weren't any billboard campaigns. There weren't any, you know, mass door-to-door -door campaigns. But there were co-workers, there were family members, there were people in, in neighborhoods that invited people to come to inquiry classes and find out about the Lord. And what did they do? We, we, we know they listened. We know they spoke. We, we really don't know, you know, everybody's method. Um, but here's the point. Uh, the basic gospel had to be preached the, uh, of who Jesus was um, and what he did for us. And that led to a whole transformation of life. Um, and that was directed primarily to adults. Sure, there were kids that were baptized. Sure, there were kids that came in with their parents. But primarily, the message is directed to adults. Um, after Constantine became Christian, it became fashionable for people to convert. So massive numbers converted. Uh, when the barbarians came in after the fall of the Roman Empire in the Western world, and we're talking now, you know, going back to um, 6th, 7th, 8th century, uh, the Franks came into the church as a tribe. The king accepted the Catholic faith, and the whole tribe is baptized. 
that's you know that's a different way of operating. And once that happens, and people become um, Christian because it's the state religion, um, then you got a situation where you primarily are catechizing it, children. You know, the the problem becomes people are baptized, but they're not instructed. So the problem becomes really not so much primary evangelization and bringing people to Christ as adults, but now it's remedying poor catechesis and trying to catechize. And I'm reading a book right now. This this is a long, you know, people still talk about this. Why is the world, you know, so messed up? Because people weren't catechized right. Okay. Well, we've, we now are in a situation where we got to do primary evangelization. We got to realize that even people who are raised in Christian homes really did a lot of times didn't hear the, the, the gospel itself and didn't get it the call to conversion and discipleship, the radical difference that Christ makes in life, you know? So th that's the new evangelization is kind of, we're in a situation much more like the first three centuries than we are like, uh, you know, the previous uh, eight, uh, 16 centuries. So we've got to kind of re reappropriate what was going on in the early church and spin it in a new way, because now we, we have people who think they've heard it. So we got to get them to sit up and take notice. We got to get, get them to understand that what they think Christianity is irrelevant, oppressive. It's not what Christianity is. So that, that's our new situation. Mm. You're, yeah, you're describing like the, the beginning of cultural Catholicism in a sense. You know, yeah. this idea of this is just how I was raised and what I do, and I have no idea why. It's just my, it's right. like, um, you know, drinking tea with dinner. It's just what we do instead of a, a, a real change of the heart and a real change in worldview and a change in lifestyle. Absolutely. Because of how Jesus and, has transformed and I'm just gonna, life. I'm just going to throw in this, you know, it, it, this this mentality of catechesis, of Christendom, you know, the main goal is um, raising our kids Catholic, which is an important goal. Uh, sure. But but that 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 idea or remedying poor catechesis, I'm, I'm reading now uh, the story, it's a historical novel called Death Comes for the Archbishop. It's about the first um, Archbishop of Santa Fe, New Mexico, who's a, who's a missionary bishop. He's He's not from the area. He's sent in when America takes over this territory. Um, he's consecrated and sent in on a mule. And his main goal is to find people, you know, all these people who were baptized centuries ago. You know, I mean, their ancestors were baptized centuries ago, and they've been baptized or maybe not even baptized, but they're, they're under catechized. They, you know, they're living in concubinage. They, they don't know anything, but they're, they're Catholic in culture. So that that's that's his goal as a missionary. It's not proclaiming the gospel to those who've never heard it or to those who need conversion. It's it's kind of bringing along the lapsed or the undereducated. And to this day, we still think a lot of times of you know evangelization as Catholics come home, you know, bringing lapsed Catholics back, which is part of it. But that's not enough. Um, it, it, we got increasing number of non Christians in our country, and increasing number of those who answer none when they're asked for religious. Uh, preference or religious identity. So anyway, the gospel has to be preached to all um, right here in our neighborhood where where we live. Yeah, and when for our listeners, when he says none, he means n o n like a like a non religious as opposed to an n u n like a, like right. a religious. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification, Alan. <laughs> so um, why don't we take another break? 
And I'd love to, when we come back, t- jump forward to the Reformation. And if there's something in between there that, um, that I'm missing, let me know. But I'd like to move forward to the Reformation when we come back. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Father Mike Schmitz. And if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. That's youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. All right, and welcome back. So before the break, Doctor, I asked you about um, the Protestant Reformation and how some things changed uh, during the Reformation. In George Weigel's book, uh, Evangelical Catholicism, he mentions that after the Protestant Reformation, there was a, a big emphasis in the Church on catechesis and um, defending the faith and apologetics and, and that sort of thing. And it seems like we've kind of stayed, and it was very needed at the time, but it seems like we've kind of stayed in that that position as a church, whereas now we need to move into, a, uh, another, if you will, another phase of evangelization, a new evangelization, if you will. So can you talk about that a little bit, what happened there and, and, and where we are now? Sure. You know, pretty frankly, the Protestant Reformation was a tremendous blow. It was an attack on um, much of the church's doctrine. Um, and so the church had to respond defensively. There's really no other way, you know, they, they had to. Um, and so the, the Council of Trent um, wanted to, it, it, for number one, there's tremendous lack of education that, and ignorance among clergy as well as laity. There was no catechism. We're so used to a catechism. There was no printed catechism in the Catholic Church. Martin Luther was the first one to come up with a printed catechism. Hmm. So it became clear after the Council of Trent, uh, first of all, we need a seminary system to educate the clergy properly. Believe it or not, I mean, it's hard to believe we didn't have one, right? Yeah. And then secondly, we, we need a catechism, and we've got to teach our people the faith. And of course, the way the faith is presented is a certain way— um, influenced by the attacks and the challenges of the Protestant reformers, who in many cases were very um, aggressively anti-Catholic. So a lot of times we, we got into a defensive posture that's understandable, but in a certain way it tends to overemphasize uh, apologetics and argument and defense. That's what ap- apologia means. Apologetics means defending the faith. So we got into a, a mentality where we were more concerned in a certain way to defend the faith than to spread it. Now, I, I want to say we sent out a tremendous number of missionaries, Francis Xavier, right at the, right at the time of the, of the Reformation, you know, a little bit afterwards. So we were doing missionary work abroad, but our, our mentality still was, you know, defending the faith, um, sacramental incorporation, um, helping protect people to stay in the church once we got them in, you know. Um, it wasn't so much in um, either discipleship or— um, spreading the gospel to our neighbors. You know, that wasn't the mentality, okay? Um, and that's the menta- That's the, the shift that the Second Vatican Council is deliberately trying to get us to make away from that, what's, what was called kind of the fortress mentality, into a, a much more um, offensive, in a good way, an offensive of love mentality of reaching out uh, rather than just trying to preserve ourselves, preserve our religious freedom, preserve our schools, preserve our neighborhoods, preserve our distinctiveness, no, we, we want to reach out and share that and the riches of the, of the Catholic faith with everybody. Hmm. Wow, which brings us to the new evangelization. Right. Um, so let me ask you this. What's, um, if I can be cheeky, what is new about it? Um, is, that a, is that a fair question? Or 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of things that are new about it. The word's new. You never <laughs> heard the word prior to the Second Vatican Council, honestly. The word evangelization is a new thing. And, and um, you know, the, the word gospel was typically not used a whole lot even in Catholic um, major magisterial documents. Uh, for example, Vatican I used the word gospel just a few times. Um, in the Second Vatican Council, the word gospel is 157 times. You know, wow. evangelization means sharing the gospel, the good news, right? So, um, and the emphasis that the gospel is the good news, it's, it's an exciting announcement of freedom, of liberation, of a new life. That's kind of the connotation of the word gospel. Whereas a lot of times um, the faith was used to talk about the content of uh, what we believe and, and what we share and, and defending the faith. So, you know, there was a deliberate shift in vocabulary, not that the faith, which is used in the pastoral epistles by St. Paul, you know, not that we should forget about talking about the deposit of the faith and protecting and conserving it. No, we just want to get the balance back, you know, of, of being, um, of announcing the primary gospel message of Jesus um, and, and the Father's love through Jesus. That, by the way, is something else that's new. I think the content of the gospel has always been the same, but the way in which we present it, it yes, a Catholic today, most Catholics, where do you start? If you're going to tell somebody about the Catholic faith, where do you start? And people don't know. The Eucharist, Mary, okay, um, the Pope, the, the authority of the magisterium, and, and these are, you know, th this is all kind of what is the center and the heart of the Catholic faith? It's the gospel, that the basic pr pronouncement of, of, you know, of who Jesus is and what he did for us, and how the Father's love is revealed in that, and how that changes everything and gives us a brand new life. Now, that's that, that evangelical concentration is a new thing relative to the last 1,500 years. It's a new emphasis on the message. Um, another thing is, who does it? Uh, it used to be missionaries do, uh, you know, missionary work, and they were mostly priests and nuns, okay? No, everyone does it. Now the new evangelization, we're all called to be evangelists, whether we think we have an evangelical personality or not, whether we think we're equipped through, you know, getting a master's or doctorate degree in, in, in theology or not, you know, we're all called to do it. Um, who's the candidates? Well, it's not far off peoples anymore, unreached peoples, you know, it, it that that's definitely something we need to do. But it's now the people next door. It's now the people in our family. It's now everybody. Um, there are under-evangelized Catholics. There are inactive Catholics. There are Protestants who don't know the fullness of Christian faith. There are lapsed Protestants. There's uh, people with no religious affiliation. There's Hindus. There's Muslims and Jews who all have a right to know about the fullness of the love of God revealed in Jesus. So it's everybody. Um, and then I'll say also, you know, what's the goal of evangelization? It's not just getting people back to church or getting people to church or through the sacraments. It's an ongoing life of conversion. It's a life of discipleship. That's the new emphasis. And then how do we do it? Um, the typical Catholic approach is, oh, I'll be a silent witness. And the Second Vatican Council knew that this was a Catholic cop-out, that most people <laughs> didn't know how to talk about their faith. And so it says about three or four times in the documents, they were called to spread the word by deed and word. And Paul VI, 10 years later, is more explicit. You know, we, we've... We're not going to be listened to if we're not witnesses. So there's got to be some witness to our life, although it'll never be perfect. If we wait till it's perfect, we'll never say anything, you know? Yeah. But but we've got to explain ourselves. We've got to be ready to give a reason for why our life may be different, why 
Um, we have a hope in Christ. We've got to be able to give that reason verbally. So it's very clear that we are no longer allowed just to say, I'll be the silent witness and leave the, the talking to the priest or to the, the head of the evangelistic committee. No, all of us are called to be able to share the gospel and word and deed. So these are a number of the different things that are new about the new evangelization. Wow. Amen, brother. <laughs> um I think you I think I read it on maybe one of your on your your um website where you say something like Jesus tells us to go be witnesses, not to go be theologians. Um, which is kind of what you were just what you were just speaking to. Is that you that said that? Did I that did I get that right? I did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's an important point. You know, we'll never know the faith fully. Thomas Aquinas didn't know it fully. That's why he stopped writing. He said, "Everything I've written is straw." I just had an experience of of Christ, and and so he stopped. So we're always inadequate. Okay, everything we ever say is inadequate. So so what? God uses inadequate and perfect people. You know, and uh, this the Samaritan. First of all, the the apostles were sent out when they, you know, when they weren't quite ready. Uh, you know, we can see they weren't quite ready because they <laughs> kept losing it and messing up. But Jesus sent out the twelve, then he sent out the seventy-two during the time of his public ministry, um, and they didn't even have the fullness of the message yet. They didn't know about his death and resurrection yet. But he sent them out anyway to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then oh. we see people sharing the, the the day of Pentecost. You know, we see Paul uh, Peter getting up and sharing. We see, you know, people very fresh out of conversion sharing. The Samaritan woman is number one in this. She, her life is messed up. She's living with a guy who's not her husband. She's been married five times. She's a Samaritan heretic, but she meets Jesus and immediately goes to the people who all think she's, uh, you know, anathema because, you know, she's she's a sinner. Mm-hmm. The, even the Samaritans think she's a sinner. But she goes to him anyway and says, you got to meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. Uh, she didn't say, she, uh, you know, now that I've had this experience, let me go to Jerusalem and enroll in Jerusalem <laughs> Theological University. And after two years with a master's, I'll be able to tell people about Jesus. No, she didn't. She didn't need to do theology. She shared her experience. So this is a hang up we've got to get over. I'm a theologian. I want people to learn theology. I encourage everyone to learn more about their faith daily, but it doesn't mean you can't share the gospel right now. You can do it. So then we talked about the early church, how the message spread like wildfire in the early church, and then why that happened, why it stopped happening, rather, for, for various reasons. And then what happened after the Reformation and how we emphasis on catechesis. Now we're back to this, to this position where we're very similar to how we were in the early church, but how we go about evangelizing needs to change with the, like the things you mentioned with the methods and the, the ardor, if you will, and the message, the goal of that. So let me ask this. Looking at our culture now, as a as a theologian, what is your opinion on how we're doing that now? Like, what is your if you're going to give us a grade, like give the church a grade as to how well we're doing evangelization currently in the world? What would you how would you assess that? Well, I have to say that I'm most familiar with the church in the United States, so I'll stick to the United States at the moment. Fair enough. Um, John Paul II said in 80, 1983, the time has now come to dedicate all of the church's energies towards a new evangelization. Okay, so based on that, how many churches are making evangelization a top priority? And how many have practical programs of teaching evangelization and actually doing it? Now, I'm going to give some stats that go back to 2012. I don't have recent stats on this. Um, I can tell you some things anecdotally. But first, I'm going to tell you a stat from 2012 that's in Sherry Waddell's book, um, and I'm quoting it from memory here, so um, it's it's pretty close to being accurate, if not completely accurate. But he, here's what 
she asked in, in some sort of a survey, you know, in, in parishes around the country, how, in your parish, is evangelization a top priority? 4% answered yes. That's pretty pitiful. Hmm. Okay. And um, do you have a current um, evangelization strategy and program? Only 2% answered yes. Now, anecdotally, I've seen since 2012 um, tremendous um, movement in a positive direction. I would say that um, we got a solid F um, <laughs> up till 2012. I think now we may be in the United States at a D or a C minus, I think, um, which is we're moving in a positive direction. But um, a lot more needs to be done. Sure. You know, um, a lot more needs to be done. It's just so easy to have a. Uh, conservation maintenance mentality. We got to, you know, pay off the the, the roof. Uh, you know, the, the, the we got to, you know, of the church that just was redone. We, you know, it, we've got to get people, you know, through the sacramental system. It takes a lot of energy just to deal with some of the day to day stuff of burying people. You know, of doing marriages and stuff. It sure. takes a lot of energy. So I really feel for a lot of uh, clergy and lay ministers who are overwhelmed. But however, we've got to retool. Um, and just shift mentality and and make that mentality now reflect in practice. So we got a long ways to go. Well, talk about taking time to turn a big ship. That's 20 years yeah. that it took to go from an F to a D. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I think the theology, first of all, I'm not sure everyone grasps it. You know, um, as a theologian, I, I hear people use the word new, new evangelization. I, I don't think a lot of times there's clarity on the direction that's been given by the popes and the bishops um, uh, since the Second Vatican Council. So I, I don't think that it's clear. I don't take for granted that everyone's got it. The teaching's all there. It's not like it's a mystery and, and needs, you know, a whole lot of, of work. It just needs to be read and appropriated and put into practice. I think the putting into practice is the hard part, honestly. Um, I'd encourage people to come to the, my website, Crossroads Initiative. You can get to it easily by DrItaly.com. There's an article summing up these six points of what is the new evangelization. There's also resources on testimony, you know, uh, on various aspects of evangelization. There's some great statements on the from the fathers of the church and from more recent saints on the duty to share the gospel um, that I think may surprise some people. We have a whole little library on the new evangelization on our website. So there you have it. So for more information, check out uh, the Crossroads Initiative, crossroadsinitiative.com, or you can just plug in dritaly.com, and it will direct you there as well. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm looking forward to the next two episodes to really get into this a little more uh, deeply and talk about what some of our listeners can, can do in their parishes to bring this message home and alive and to start to do some true evangelization in our, in our parishes. So thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Alan. So if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so at ascensionpresents.com slash podcast. Leave us a comment in the show notes or send us an email at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. We're praying for you guys. Tune in next week with more from Dr. Italy, and we'll see you then. Peace. Peace.